up and stuff. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Fitness in Philosophy podcast. My name is Robbie Gustin, and I am joined by OPEX Fitness founder, James Fitzgerald. James, would you mind telling us the history and origin of your last name? <laughs> if you know. I wish I, I wish I could. I was smirking at your smirk. I could tell <laughs> 10 seconds prior to the asking of the question, you have this little tell in your face, so you're not going to win at poker. I kind of knew it was coming, though, anyways, but... Anyways, great question, Robbie. Um, unfortunately, I don't have an answer. I think the closest I can get to it is because uh, I tried to investigate. Um, kid was just coming into the facility to the wrong door. Um, I tried to investigate the uh, clan of Gerald, like the difference in Fitz uh, Space Gerald, because that's what the, the name used to imply, Fitz Space Gerald. And there was a lot of Fitz and then names afterwards. So... And I think I landed in uh, in a part in a part of Ireland. That's the closest I got to, you know, the uh, clan of Gerald and, uh, and where that where that is. But uh, uh, just to, not to kill the the mojo on that. But the, I am um, James Fitzgerald the uh, fourth. Oh well. Um, my great grandfather was James Benedict Fitzgerald. Um, my grandfather and my father, and myself. Um, and that legacy has ended. <laughs> <laughs> Two females and uh, and no more no more baby making. Um, I guess it could be reversed, but not going to happen. So there, that's that's Fitzgerald. Have you ever done your twenty three and Me? Do you know like is it, I mean, is it basically Irish or? Yeah, I did do twenty three and Me. I am eighty three percent English. Uh, well, I think that's the classification they have inside there. Um, 83% English and then a bunch of other small percentages of, uh, of other things. Gotcha. Yep. So Western Northern Europe, uh, lineage, most likely good with lactose. Yeah. <laughs> got the, got the lactase persistence going on. So you betcha, you betcha we're, we're a lactase household. Yep. <laughs> Us too. Can't, you know, dairy's, dairy's pretty, pretty cool. Pretty tasty. <laughs> um, okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Northern European for me to kind of an interesting, like 25% of each mix, but, uh, like my dad is, uh, of German descent mm -hmm. on his dad's side and then Irish Scottish on his mom. And then my mom is, uh, we got Russian descent and then Greek and Turkish. So kind of an interesting, mm. interesting mix. Is your name, last name pronounced differently in, uh, in Europe? I'm not sure. I mean, the pronunciation I've always been told and that I like, um, you know, I mean, we'll get Gustin and Gustin and I mean, but just Gustin. Um, but I, I was looking it up just cause I was planning on this question and, um, I think it goes back to like, Augustine, ruler Augustine, like mm. that that lineage. Now, what the etymological meaning is, I'm not not sure, but um, yeah, it's from that kind of group. So interesting, interesting. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, great question. It makes me uh, want to go back and review the 23andMe data because I got the whole thing done, right? The the health outcome stuff and the family lineage and the percentages and all that and uh, 
And the thing I like about it, it changes, you know, if they get any different major data points that, you know, even slight changes and stuff. Um, so I, should, I appreciate the question. I'll go back and take a look at that more deeply. But I think the family name thing um, may not always line up with those genotype, phenotype, you know, um, um, things just based upon crossbreeding and multiple variations that can occur back in the day, you know, um, back in the day. Um, so I, uh, but I, I would like to go after the name a little bit more deeply. So thanks for asking that. Yeah, no problem. I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I, I suspect you've seen these articles, but if not, it, it's, it's interesting. So there've been a lot of articles where people have been told one thing about their lineage and then they get the 23andMe data and then, you yeah. know, they have counselors and things like that. But yeah. I mean, I agree with you. It's, it, it either for cultural reasons or political reasons, people are told, oh, well, you were this. I mean, if you if you think of, um, you know, Jews trying to escape the Inquisition and not, you know, wanting to change things up historically within, um, you know, the, the the story of their family to not get found out, yeah. um, that, you know, that, that's, that's how stuff like that yeah. happens. So it's very interesting from a biological and cultural perspective. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Or on the other side of it, you may want to virtue signal that you're 0.65% of a certain lineage and uh, want to use that for power. That that definitely can can be done at some point. <laughs> that is true. Um, it was funny when I was looking at mine, like, I, I think we figured it out, but there was like a 25% slice where we were like, what's that doing there? Like, was, was, <laughs> was grandma on one side, you know, <laughs> around or like, what was going on with that? <laughs> Grandma was in Kenya. <laughs> like, What's going on here? But uh, I think we Grandma was out. known to roam the deserts. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think you think gosh. you know like the you know this one and that one, but yeah. <laughs> so anyway, oh, it's so good, <laughs> so good, and we had no choice in that matter. No, that's oh, the beautiful that... thing. You know, we had no choice in that. We didn't. Uh, we didn't choose that. Uh, yeah, no choice in the matter. And that's, oh man, I would, yeah, I'd, future episode, one of my favorite topics within all philosophy that bears on free will and politics is this notion of luck. Yeah. And um, there's yeah. so much about who we are and our time that wasn't chosen yeah. by us. And yeah, what do we yeah. do with that fact? So Yeah. Yeah, I look forward to that to add on to uh, the current, you know, uh, things that I see in culture of uh, people not respecting the fact that uh, a lot of it happened as luck, um, you know, and mobility and uh, economic uh, improvements that a lot of people think they are going to have as young individuals moving through society. They're being told a whole lot more that um, it's, uh, it's uh, this strategic plan and all these choices that you have in front of you um, coming from those individuals who were lucky enough to create an app that was sold for 10 billion. Right. So they're like, Oh, that's the, that's the, and it's like, no, you just, uh, you just walk to the right door and <laughs> the person was like, yeah, you know, it's, there's, a, there's a lot in that. So that's what I'd like, to, I'll add to it. I look forward to that. Yeah, I agree. And I, th I mean, you know, in kind of, an, I guess, in connection with dogmatism, I think um, both of those positions get very uh, calcified, right? So there's one party, at least in America, and I'm sure globally elsewhere, but, you know, personal responsibility, free will. You know, everything you do is up to you, good, bad, or otherwise. And then there's kind of the, well, a whole lot of it's determined by luck. And, you know, maybe that gets leaned on very hard. And the truth, as, as we've talked about, you know, people not liking uncertainty in gray areas is like, 
it's a mix of both. And then mm -hmm. how do you suss out, how yeah. do you suss out what contribution from each, but yeah. super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, Harari, uh, um, the author of, uh, Sapiens and Homo do or Homo Deus or however you want to say it, um, you know, has a really good, uh, way of going about saying that, that you do have choice, but if you think of choice as being choices for options of things to do, then, then your concept of free will changes. But if you think that you have, you know, those just embedded things to make all those choices, then no, you don't have any free will. So there's this, there's this nice balance. Uh, I'll use that, uh, quote for our, for that episode, but onto, uh, onto dogmatism and fitness part two, part two. Yeah. So last time we had a, yeah, pretty, pretty in-depth discussion about dogmatism. And I think there was just a lot to say, and I thought we could come back this time and answer some of the questions that were still, we had, we had touched on them a little bit, but, uh, get definitely a bit more in depth with the connection between dogmatism and fitness. And then there were some other philosophical, um, ideas that I thought would be interesting to discuss. So yeah. yes. <clears throat> Quick recap from last time, dogmatism can be defined in a number of different ways, but what we're talking about here is certainty about what you believe, come what may, either with lack of sufficient evidence or in the face of repeated contrary evidence or both. So that's, that's specifically what we're talking about. Um, why is it problematic? Why do we typically think of it as a vice or that particular form of it? It's typically accompanied by ignorance. There are all sorts of historical and cultural examples of it being associated with moral and religious and political oppression. Um, it closes us off intellectually to other possibilities. And we just have to admit that, you know, humans are finite beings. We have limited epistemological capacities. Um, you know, the senses we have, whether alien life exists or not, may not, may not be the only senses that, uh, beings are, are capable of and what we thought we've known in the past has turned out to be wrong in a sufficient number of instances to say, hey, let's not necessarily be skeptical about everything we come across, but just to say, let's adopt an appropriate sense of epistemological humility. Yeah, this is where uh, the maybe the definition, Robbie, of uh, science fits into this too, where the, the truest definition of science, we discussed this in the past, is actually to try to observe phenomenon and experiment with things to come up with truths, right? It's the constant play of trying to figure out solutions to things. And people think that uh, science has answers. I even hear it on the NPR, you know, blasted in the morning time based upon this new administration, whether, you know, you will or not, it's like, we're going to back science. You know, it's like, what, what do you mean by that? What, what do you actually mean by that? Um, because if you actually were to back science, you would say that we don't have the answers, but we're going to continue try to try to strive <laughs> through different kinds of things to get there. My point being, Robbie, is as you were mentioning uh, a, a retake on dogmatism and, and a recap, I heard from that, you know, how people can get malaligned. They think that dogmatism would be therefore anti-science, right? As a, you know the way and this is, and you've stopped. It's like, dead stop. This is, this is the thing. This is what you need to follow. Um, and uh, I would say you're getting closer to that. What, what would you think about that in terms of where science and its definition lies in dogmatism? I think if we're talking in the ideal scenario, um, 
you know, the ideal case scenario for both science and dogmatism, they are fundamentally opposed um, just about as much as you could imagine. But as philosophers like Feyerabend and, and others have pointed out in practice, of course, science can be heavily dogmatic. Yes. Um, you know, we, we mentioned some examples last time of, uh, you know, the people who, a famous one from kind of FDN land is the, uh, the idea that H. pylori causes ulcers and uh, they went, went on to win the Nobel Prize and the way they did it was they infected themselves with H. pylori, gave themselves an ulcer, you know what I mean? Yeah. So stuff, stuff like that. So in the ideal, of course, these two things are opposed just the same way philosophy and dogmatism are supposed to be opposed, but then there's that cultural human element that comes in where, and, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about today is that this is a fundamentally human um, neurosis, if you will, to want to keep going for dogmatism, even when you're striving to, to not. So it's this constant, it's this constant pull again. So wouldn't, in, in, wouldn't, in the and, real and world. People, and people would want to do that for comfort and security, right? Yeah. Cause it, it feels, yeah. you can feel certain behind one thing, you know? Yes. Um, and uh, so I, yeah, we can understand it as well, but um, yeah, we can understand it as well. Yeah. And, and we can say something like, <clears throat> Um, you know, there's different discussions around feelings and what one does with them, but like, we can say something like, I understand where that feeling comes from. I yeah. understand. Yeah. Like I, I share that. Yeah. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Um, you know, we, we want to try to grow beyond that and it, you know, it, it, it sucks. I mean, it, it sucks to, you know, feel uncertainty in something where you have people who you really respect on one side and people you really respect on the other side. And we're not saying people should be uncertain with regard to everything they believe, but of course for deeper issues, it's worth having a little bit of humility there. Is it possible that uh, as a majority, a very generalized statement, a lot of people have a harder time of being okay with uncertainty today? I would say so. I, I don't know that I would time index it to today as opposed to any other time. I think that to, to me personally, I, well, I would say that's just of any age generation, but. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, I was stretching it out. So at times of Jesus Christ and Seneca, you know, the concept of being certain as to what a God was or gods or particular options, you know, at least there was some, you know, wrapping around of something. I was trying to take a big global like human existence experience of today um, and you could go on data of, uh, if you wish, you know, believers, non-believers, and the whole, the whole concept of uh, certainty itself, um, and then add other cultural things to it in terms of how people are fed information and what they see. Um, I just wanted to know your thoughts. My feelings are is that I probably can't uh, put my finger on it because I haven't existed long enough or been woke long enough to, or conscious long enough to kind of see it. Uh, but being, you know, just watching the culture shift, um, over the past 10 years, uh, um, with this, uh, technological, um, evolution. Um, I think there's, uh, I think there's more uncertainty. I think, uh, I mean, one thing I would time index to today, based on what you're saying, I think this is a fundamental human impulse that just like with, with fast food and, you know, pornography or other things like it, it's been accelerated a thousand fold you have these echo chambers of you know different areas and I'm, I'm sure you've seen the articles where it's like here's the um you know democrats newsfeed and here's the republicans newsfeed you know what i mean on, on facebook and the people that yeah. follow so i would say there's definitely more of a, a pinball machine of you know an echo chamber that kind of yeah. reverberates stuff back to you that 
maybe, you know, I mean, you could still imagine historically probably existed to some extent within tribes, but maybe not with the tidal wave force that we get today where like every single ping, every single day is really just coming at you. So. Yeah. Yeah. So there were a few new philosophical ideas I wanted to bring up today related to dogmatism. Um, one was this idea that dogmatism and illusion could be viewed as types of neuroses. The second one relates to the idea that dogmatism very often comes from treating one source of knowledge as the way, the light, and the truth. Um, I typed up some practical antidotes to dogmatism that coaches can take with them that you and I started to discuss last time, but I figured we could flesh them out. And then some questions that we talked about last time that I figured we could um, get into and connect with fitness. Um, you know, when is sticking to one's guns in the face of what others believe a good thing versus when is it, you know, the height of absurdity and when should we ban types of speech? So those are the four main things. So mm -hmm. starting off with item number one, Different philosophers like Kant, Freud, and Wittgenstein um, would, in different ways, characterize dogmatism and illusion as types of neuroses. Now, I need to put a caveat in there for Kant. Kant existed long before Freud, so the neurosis wasn't like a relevant concept. But the same idea he talks about in his uh, Critique of Pure Reason, where he says, the human mind is inevitably drawn to these types of illusions and these aren't just errors of judgment. It's not like, oh, uh, you put your hand on the stove one time, someone tells you not to do it and you don't do it again. Or someone tells you, you don't know how to change a tire correctly and then you learn how to change a tire and then you don't do it incorrectly again. Those things are different. Those are just you know errors or mistakes. With dogmatism or illusion, there's this deep and abiding propensity, mm -hmm. whether it's to you know the notion of the ego or black and white thinking, um, we have this innate propensity to go towards dogmatic thought and illusion. And all three of them, Kant, Freud, Mickenstein, and, and others, in one way or another, have mentioned the fact that it's not enough to tell the person they're making a mistake here. It has to be repeated. It has to come up again. And I thought an interesting connection to, um, you know, fitness and nutrition that, you know, I know we all as coaches have seen before is like, oh, okay, yeah, don't attach self-worth to uh, the scale great wow i wish i knew that before do you know what i mean yeah we're like uh i didn't know mcdonald's was shitty do you know what i mean like it, it doesn't these things are ingrained habits they're they're modes of yeah. thought that are not amenable to like oh that research article just convinced me that i should be doing this no it's a a continual chipping away at the ingrained belief that takes time and patience and repetition so there's this fundamental difference between just an error of judgment and a neurosis or propensity or a constant pull towards dogmatism and illusion that humans just innately have. So I'll pause there. Any, any yeah. Thoughts? Well, I would disagree that there's a chipping away that gets people there. I think there's like a chip and then there's like, ah, they go so far. There's like a chip. And they actually don't move. That that's my, you know, I'm, as you know, I'm more skeptical on the movement of things for that. Like tell someone, yeah, those Doritos, how'd that feel? And, <laughs> and you'll see them for five days and they come back as like, I got 13 times, you know, I went back that way. So uh, I think about that with the chipping away. Um, I, love the, I love the language of the neurosis of it. 
because it makes me think that, yeah, people, people will continually go after that thing for the craziest reasons. Like they'll <laughs> like for really interesting reasons why they just got to make it that way. You know, they got to make it that way. Um, and, and to your point, which, you know, I, I disagree. It happens so often in fitness, unless you're like walking around with them all the time. Right. <laughs> it goes back to our episode of those examples where you drive it around with your client and they want to turn into McDonald's, right. And you punch them in the face. Um, it's like, there's not enough to like, <laughs> there's not enough to, uh, don't turn that into a meme, Brandon. There's not enough to, uh, to chip Wait. away, you know, this chip away. We are, we are very, uh, hopeful, right? We're very hopeful that these little iterations can help people like turn it. Um, but uh, I'm just mentioning the fact that it's, a, uh, it takes, a it takes a lifetime, you know, to, to have, uh, to have disease. Right. It takes a lifetime for that. And so, yeah. you know, to your point is like, well, you know, I, and I was just watching the thing last night, the documentary, and of course it's top of mind. So I go to sleep, I dream about it, which as well, Carl Jung had ideas around dreams and active imagination and, uh, and neuroses as well, which is another interesting side point to the same kind of idea. But, um, and I, you know, I wake up today and go have breakfast to this uh, place and, uh, I just see it. You know, I just see it in front of me. You know, the people are, uh, people are just not in that, in that uh, line of thinking that it's like this, this, this little thing, you know, these, these seven pancakes this morning, it's not, not going to impact things, you know, because, you know, what's the, what's, what's the definition of the, of, of the greatest thing. And as I mentioned previous times before, sorry to be long, lengthy on this, but people just think you're just standing at 85 and you get the, you did it, you did it, you got there. You know, it's like, uh, don't, there's a lot more. So, uh, I think that the, there's neur neurosis and, a uh, lot, not a lot of chipping away that happens in the, in ex because of this lack of, uh, want for, uh, maximal expression, maximal potential. We're, we're okay with a mediocre, um, expression of ourselves. We're okay with that. And, you know, uh, there's no, there's no, uh, beacon for so so it makes sense it makes sense to me that uh that uh people are uh neurotic around it in most most cases yeah and sorry just to clarify i didn't mean that um as we see so often in fitness that this actually successfully gets changed i meant <laughs> the fact that people come back to us over and over and over again we try to chip away and i, I mean I, I have seen successful um changes but i mean oh yeah but it, it, it takes time. It really does. And I mean, these things yeah. are so deeply ingrained when you, you know, for example, um, food is your coping mechanism and that's all you did before age seven. Like <laughs> a book isn't going to fix that. A lecture isn't going to fix mm -hmm. that. Like mm -hmm. you saying you're using this as an emotional crutch isn't going to fix that. It's going to take that intellectual acknowledgement, that consciousness as a necessary, but maybe 5% part of the process. Mm -hmm. And then the 95% is going to be like, no, you did it again. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's repeat. Let's repeat. Yeah. Let's repeat for like 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Years. Yeah. yeah thank you. <laughs> like you're saying 10, 20, 30 times. Like, no, no it's like a whole rewiring. And then you got to ask yourself, can the person actually rewire those neural positions? Right. That's the whole, like, can they? Yeah. You know, that you're, you're 33 and you've had these 26 years of these, incorrect rewires 
yeah, that's that's tough. So uh, um, not not to go death zone, but uh, sometimes that's why uh, you know, um, just like shaking up the system and big nudges can can sometimes help. You know, uh, I.e., punch them with the truth and and sit there and and just like let's let's talk it out because I don't have eight years to to rewire this thing. You know, it's like no, you need to. You need to hear it. And if it, you don't like it, um, you will start to like it more every time I say it, meaning understand it and get it and like, but I'm not going to, not going to like, you know, back our way up. It's like, uh, no, you know, you're, uh, you're using that as a source of, uh, of, um, you know, care for yourself, or you're using that as a source of, uh, uh, running away or you're, uh, you're using it as a, as a way to, uh, you know, give yourself a good feeling, you know, and whew, you know, it's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> right. Which, you know, is, this is where dogmatism comes in. And that belief is like, no, this is, this is it. And this is the way it, it's going to be. Um, I was thinking about, uh, also, as you said that, uh, uh us trying to, uh, Leanne's father is, uh, geez, how old is he? 70? And, uh, he just came for a visit and, uh, I gave, uh, Leanne, she's pretty close to her father. I gave Leanne like a couple little, like, you know, I'm seeing a couple things with his behaviors. You just want to like do some checks on for health. Right. Um, some of those were, uh, you know, he's, um, he's not a really tall gentleman, but, uh, from what I saw last time, he's only gained weight around his belly. It's that hard, hard belly fat. And, uh, uh, you can tell that his, um, his uh, uh, will to live and like be, you know, do something every day and be really excited about that. When you wake up, you could see it's, it was diminishing and he was feeling a little depressive around um, not seeing his grandchildren and kind of feeling isolated and, and then uh, watching him during the day. Um, I'm going to come back to how this ties in, but watch them during the day. You could see uh, like just really ups and downs in blood sugar management and just energy throughout the day. And, uh, and over consumption of foods at a meal, like just really over consuming all the clinical signs of like some form of mismanagement of uh, blood sugar balance and, uh, and mental acuity and circadian rhythm and et cetera. Uh, and uh, so I, I told her about that. And so we, we just give him a couple of things, right? It's like, this is what I want you to do. You're now down in Florida. I want you to uh, walk every second day and I want you to bike every second day. And then in the morning time and, uh, and at lunch, because you can control those meals, don't rely on your significant other for it. We're going to tell you exactly what you're going to do. So we're like, you know, have some eggs and have some berries and have a little bit of turkey on the side and, and send us the picture, right? And he has that. He's like, I feel so full and I'm fucking doing all this work and he feels so good, right? But, but this is the question. My whole, this is, I'm tying it all in. He's like, but won't that lead to increasing cholesterol and a heart attack? So I just, you know, you got to pause and just think about that. This is a 70 year old man. You can imagine how much rewiring it will take for him to tr truly understand the intentions of that particular food item, not giving him a heart attack, right? Because through generations and through principles and, you know, he's like, so what I was thinking about in our conversation here is how do you rewire that without just being like, just shut up and eat the eggs, you know? But if it's just shut up and eat the eggs, there's still not that deepest intention on his behalf of an understanding of why he's doing it. And I yeah. would say that's just as, as fault. Would you agree, Robbie? It's like there's still that 
you know what I mean? There's still a, there's still something in there that needs to be solved. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, that was a question I had in there for like fitness, but also I guess for, for nutrition as well. Like, yeah, we, we want to be careful not to be as dogmatic at the other, on the other side. Like we get people to do these behaviors, but then, you know, if you ask them like why they're doing it, they're like, uh, I don't know. Uh, or, you know, someone told me to back to the, you know, it's better practices, but, but the reason and intention behind it is, is different. I mean, I agree with what you're saying. I, I do think my, my, my sole source of hope or like one of my main sources of hope is like the idea that eggs cause heart disease is a micro fraction of a micro fraction of our history. Mm-hmm. That, that idea. And it has changed now. It's going to take time. It's going to take, you know, people um, in the scientific community changing and, you know, the American heart association recently rescinded that stuff on saturated fat after, you know, 20 to 30 years and the time magazine cover and all the rest of this stuff. So it takes time and it's frustrating, <laughs> but you know, my, my, my hope there is that like this stuff can change. It just, it just takes a while. Yep. yep. Um, so yeah, so that, that's, that's kind of the one, one philosophical idea to keep in mind as you guys are thinking about dogmatism is this idea behind um, neurosis. And I think the connection as we were discussing for fitness and nutrition coaches is like, I think a lot of them experientially like know this, like if they've ever encountered it, it's like, oh, I slid this across the table and it, it didn't change their behavior. Well, yeah, it's going to take time. Like yeah. information is necessary, but not sufficient. And it's maybe five to 10% of the equation. It's really yeah. those behavior changes and the repetition. And this is why I think in a, what was the one I was going back through? Like it was intention part two, cause that's what we're um, releasing on social media right now. But um we were talking about the doctor knows best model. And this is one of the reasons why that has doesn't gain that much traction is you, you know, reason versus emotion, emotion's going to win, mm-hmm. you know, nine times out of 10. So with a coaching model, it's like, Hey, did you do it? No. Okay. Let's develop this next strategy. Let's, let's, let's come at it from another direction. You knowing that it's the wrong thing to do is not sufficient. As you can see from anyone who knows that smoking is bad for them or drinking soda, like they know they get it. It's, it's, it's that habit. It's that um, different way of looking at things. So that repetition helps in correcting neurosis. Yeah. And I, just to tie in there for any coaches listening, trying to think about it in terms of the example you've given of putting stuff across the table, there has to be, you know, just to clarify uh, a little help in that area to make it keep going is that there has to be stuff that you put across the table and then there has to be, you know, an input of information for the client and an experimentation with it. And they kind of work with it. And then in order to kind of close that gap of not only just putting across the table, hoping you're, to your word, chipping away, you have to ask them what they observed in the differences of applying that particular intervention, right? You have to, so what, what did you see that happened there, right? Like, you know, Leanne's father mentioning, right? I felt full, uh, had all this mental, you know, energy in the afternoon, right? It's like, but we have to like, you know, we got to ask him, you got to give us some feedback so you can connect the dots on that. And the more they connect the dots to it, i.e. in systems, the information that's given back to the system, right? The system meaning coach and client and information being served, the information getting back to the system will make it more efficient over time and raise awareness on behalf of the client. In that particular situation you were saying of uh, you got to go further than just a dogmatic idea. Oh yeah, completely. And I mean, I take it you've seen Inception, the movie. Oh yeah. 
okay, yeah. So I, one of my one of my favorites. Um, but you know, the, the whole movie. Spoiler. It, sorry, it's it's ten years later. Yeah, if you haven't seen it by now. Um, you know, so the whole movie of getting someone to believe something. You have this military style dream operation to get someone to believe something, and like it has to come from him opening the safe and like seeing it and feeling that. Like you know, the whole movie is based around. Um, how hard it is to get someone else to believe something. And there's a lot of truth at the end of it that applies to our profession, I think, of like the information is not enough. It has to come from feeling. It needs to be their reasons. It's going to be different for every person. It needs to relate to their particular history and culture and family and all the rest of this stuff. Like the knowledge is not enough. It's mm -hmm. got to be that other stuff. So anyway. Um, okay, so next piece I wanted to talk about. Um, dogmatism comes from believing that a particular source of knowledge is the way, the light, and the truth. So these are just examples and they're not exclusive, but Christianity, CrossFit, the military, veganism. Uh, the idea here is that these sources are infallible. So Nixon has this famous line that, you know, is, is fairly relevant, sadly, uh, today. Uh, when the president does it, that means it's not illegal. So a classical philosophical text and dialogue that highlights this idea and shows you a, a major source of dogmatism is, is Plato's dialogue, The Euthyphro. And to just outline what, what the dialogue's about, a son is prosecuting his father for murdering one of his slaves. And there's this inherent tension that Socrates brings about with relation to what he calls piety about how could you prosecute your father on the one hand, like, yeah, law, independent, you know, justification, anyone who commits murder, like that's not good. But on the other hand, like your father, like source of morality, truth, like you don't, you don't do that. So in the dialogue, the famous question that comes about that really highlights this point is are good things good because they are good, which is option one or because God or the gods say so. So with option one, if there are independent standards of right and wrong, then something can be good or bad independently of what God thinks or independently of what the military thinks or independently of what a religion thinks. Um, this idea in America that no one is above the law. Um, but on the other side, if God or the gods is the only standard for right and wrong that God could make rape or genocide good because he's the source of right and wrong. So what does this all have to do with dogmatism? <laughs> with, what, it's, what I'm trying to highlight here is that um, depending where you fall on this question, dogmatism really comes about when one sees either the president or a military commander or the Pope or one's father or CrossFit. Um, and then there are other things within the fitness realm. It's not just CrossFit. It's not in, in nutrition too, uh, veganism, what, what have you. When you view one thing as the infallible source of truth, come what may. When you say this is the standard and anything that contradicts that, I'm going to throw that out because it contradicts um, that standard. So that's the tension that that highlights. And um, I just thought that was an interesting connection to uh, dogmatism. Yeah. Um, agreed. And I won't have much more to say on that, but I couldn't. Just, all I was thinking as you were going is like uh, coming up with a joke um, of uh, the President Trump, the Pope, Greg Glassman, and Jesus Christ walk into a bar. <laughs> Yeah. Or sorry, a, ve a vegan, uh, the Pope, President Trump. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and, and the riddle is something about the truth. Um, 
or uh, the other thing that I was thinking about is that uh, is we definitely have to have a meme of uh, of <laughs> of you with this big bright light behind you um, on the Instagram feed of uh, you know the, the truth and the light you know and and something in, in quotations underneath based on it. <clears throat> no, it's um, it's uh, yeah, I I I understand it again. It it still ties into this. Uh, being certain and um, recognizing that there's a lot of things inside the dogmatism that we ourselves just don't have a lot of, well, I guess we're, we're not taking a lot of time to really look hard at the message. So the message coming from that one person who stands on the stands up there and speaks um, it's with it, it, they, it, there's intentions of that. Let's call it a dogmatic way of thinking. There's intentions of that that know how it's going to be received in that audience. So they know it's going to be um, really hard based upon how it's either done or how it's mentioned, really hard to like work against that because you mentioned it emotions play a huge role inside of that right there's this i mean you know feelings you know in that interaction from that uh, dogmatic practice um you know uh, we could use the uh the seemingly small it seems like it's a low intense idea but you know it has a major impact on what you and i discuss a lot was in the early aughts uh uh this conversation of uh you know down with this idea of fitness right and this is what you should feel about this new movement right it's it's a feeling so you, you wrap all this stuff around um you know you, you've been all this has been you know uh, incorrect and it's the wrong way of thinking and let's create all this emotion around this new idea and this new style right and it just and dude i mean it ran it ran hot and heavy right you think it's not successful it's like ridiculously successful depending upon how you measure it so um, yeah, the, uh, I can't get my mind off the, uh, the, uh, joke. Um, I definitely want to see a meme of you with the bright light, with the truth, you know, just your face and everything else is like super bright and, uh, with some kind of dogmatism caption underneath it. And, uh, and yeah, by all means, I get it. I understand it. And with all what I just said and all your you know points on the truth, the way of the light, um, it, it makes sense. It again should make sense. It shouldn't be like, I can't understand why people would believe that. It's like, well, you're not, you're not, you're not taking a second to kind of think about why they would think that way. Right. It just, it appeases so many things because emotions are pretty powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it really, I think another thing it highlights is again, what we were talking about of like, this is an innate propensity that we have to work against like constantly in every age and every era. It's not such something that like, Oh, Hey, we did it. Um, you know, we have the rule of law, um, and now we're never going to run into an issue again. It's like, no, the propensity is always going to be to drag us back to that, you know, certainty, black and white thinking, you know, this is the way the light and the truth. And we have to pull ourselves out of that. And I think with fitness and nutrition, it's, a um, certainly with nutrition, it'd be interesting to think about with fitness, if that's the case too, but certainly with nutrition, you know, there's constantly going to be this pull to, dogmatism and certainty and things like that and um it's a constant effort of reason and rationality to 
pull us out of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, just to call our own or my own biases on it, you know, I, I do think there is a way, <laughs> you know, I can, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that I don't believe in a, in a particular area. Um, the transfer, the, you know, the, the transfer of that kind of idea outward could be dogmatism. Right. Um, but I do, I do think there is a way I, and I do think there are some truths as to what people, uh, should have for reasons for exercise and should have for particular choices that they make for uh, nutrition and nurturing oneself. Right. So I, I think there is a way. Um, and so I, I just want to make mention that too. We got to know where we sit on those things. That's probably the biggest learning, right? Yeah, I think so. But I, I, and I think that's a really good point. That's something I wanted to highlight for people that I think is a major source of confusion that I, I've run into. And I know other people have like, just as in, so, just in so far as you think there is a way or a better way of doing things doesn't necessarily make you dogmatic. Do you know what I mean? It, it can, it absolutely can. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but we're going to all be dogmatists if, do you know what I mean? So it's getting some clarity on like, when is it truly dogmatism? When is it not? But I, 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 I see what you're saying. And like, it, it's always important for us to mention these implicit um, biases and frameworks and where we're coming from. Um, but as we'll talk about, it's not equally dogmatic for one person to say the pyramids were not built by aliens and for another person to say the pyramids were, do you know what I mean? Yep. There's yep. a certain burden of proof. And I, I feel like, especially in the case of OPEX and, and other, you know, um, paleo nutrition, I mean, other things, there, there's a burden of proof to meet based on evidence and argumentation and reasoning. And like, once you've met that, it's not that that can't be overcome. It's just that, you know, your move. You know, the, it's the, 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 uh, the other side, it's like, it, it's your move. So yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so you're telling me that the, uh, they weren't built by aliens. You never know. <laughs> I think I just had a Santa Claus moment there. Yeah. It's logically possible. He's circling. Could be young listener. Right before we say, before we say too much more, there could be young listeners. So let's uh, okay. move on. All right, so one, one part of the discussion that I really liked last time that we got into that I thought we could expand upon and we could talk about how this applies to coaches and fitness is last time we were having a, a pretty theoretical discussion about dogmatism and to a certain extent today we have uh, as well, but bringing it down to the practicality of like, how do you avoid dogmatism? How do you as a coach, how do you as a human, how do you as a person avoid dogmatism? So I made a, a list of different things that are gonna practically help you avoid dogmatism. So one of them that we brought up, uh, not, not necessarily you, James, but like you, the listener. Um, so uh, consciousness, we, one of the things we said last time is that it's really hard to be both conscious and dogmatic. Now, of course, the, the tricky part is getting someone who's unconscious to become conscious because they're uh, unconsciously incompetent, as we would say. Uh -huh. um, and so it, it's hard to, to get there, but just noticing what you believe, noticing when a nerve is touched, if someone contradicts a particular belief of yours. Now, I do want to mention that because I was thinking about this a bit, uh, a, a bit more deeply. Sometimes we get these logical fallacies when people are discussing these things. Just because a nerve is touched doesn't mean you're being dogmatic. Mm -hmm. That's important. Yeah. Let's not, let's not go the reverse, yeah. but um, 
if a nerve is being touched, that is a sign to just reflect on like, hey, what's the source of that? Like, yes. sometimes there will be a legit justification for it, but other times there won't. So that, that's yeah. worth thinking about. Yeah, on both the coach and the client perspective. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that uh, in the coach-client perspective too, speaking on behalf of a coach, that's a little more challenging to, it's tough to do live time right? Cause you're in, you're in place and you're like, uh, I just noticed that thing, you know, that's weird. Where's that coming from? You know, and you can't go just a second. <laughs> let me take, let me take two minutes to, to revisit my teenage years. Like, like, okay, that's why that comes up, you know? Um, so that's why it's important as a coach, you know, just to give you some practices for that. Only speaking on behalf of the coach, cause I could talk on the client perspective of those nerves all day, or those nerve touches. Um, for the coach, you got to like, just take it in and recognize it happened. Right. And then learn how to just stop those connections to the emotion that come with that. And then after the consultation, go back and debrief and write it down and say, you know, they mentioned something like this and I don't want to turn my back on the fact that I felt that and that something was tingling. Right. They, they said something about uh, veganism, right where you were, you were, you immediately, whether it was your issue or not, or, you know, listening to a podcast of someone who's, you know, an authoritarian figure or speaking a populist idea or, you know, something you're clinging on to, right? It's like, yeah, you know, and then you hear it and you're like, you know, um, it's really tough, you know, so you just gotta be like, okay, I felt that. Okay, go move on. And then, then after going to be like, man, you know, let me just observe that and think about how I'm, uh, how I'm going to deal with that in the future. Um, um, knowing humans can kind of sniff that whether they even know they are or not, uh, you know, hope, hope people can understand that. Um, you know, what happens if your client sniffed that, that you're a little like, you know, for like five seconds after they said that. Um, you know, it's all these things. So it's really good for you after just to brief it. And the more you do that, I'm asking you to do nothing but just debriefing it. The more you do it, you are actually, this is what we're learning more and more in neuroscientists, neuroscience today, is that you, you're, you're creating this predictive atmosphere of how your brain's going to react to those things. Think about that, right? So, you know, make it very, very simple. 25 consultations, you did some debriefing right? And 26, it comes up. You have taught yourself through actual neuroscience, you know, and shit happening back and forth. You've taught yourself how to create the correct kind of, you know, information sharing, attentiveness and communication with no tells because you've practiced and it's now a predictive formula that you've built only because you did debriefing. It's not because you actually <laughs> went into deep conversation with someone on veganism 26 times. Do you see how hopeful that is though? Because coaches are like, God, do I have to spend an hour, you know, berating and changing people's minds? It's like, actually, no, it starts with you. You're the one that needs to be like in a good spot with it. And this is the, sorry to be lengthy on that, but this is the, the, the ironic thing over time is that people just eventually change because you give them a space to have a conversation. That's the fuck. It's so fucked up. It's like, I didn't tell you anything about what I think is wrong or right. You know, 
Um, and then over time you were like, you know, I just figured I just need more fish and chicken. <laughs> You're like, that's fantastic. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then you do a debriefing after it's like, I didn't do a fucking thing. I didn't do a thing. It was fantastic. So um, anyways, that's the hope in terms of that little thing that Robbie, you were talking about there of, um, you know, the chipping away and the like keeping having space and um, the nerve, the feelings, right? It's like, Ooh, I just got that. I just gave you some insight as to how, how a coach can heal that over time in ourselves. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I agree with all those. I think those are all excellent points. And from the client side, I will, you know, so I've been doing this now 10 years and I still have plenty more to go on both the fitness and nutrition side, but I would say on the nutrition side, um, which has been the main area I've, I've, I've focused on, I would say um, over the past 10 years, one of the central insights I've come to is very much along the same lines of what you were saying. It's, it's literally just creating that consciousness. Like people get so wrapped up in like, I'm going to send Robbie my first food journal. He's going to be like this, that, and the other thing. And the truth is whatever you ate, it's okay. Like we're just, we're just starting with that. The power in that first food journal has nothing to do with anything I'm about to say. It has to do with like you just being aware, like, Oh damn, there's the ledger. Like I, I did these mental gymnastics to say, oh, well, I was having McDonald's three times a week and it was actually seven times. Um, and then another one related to that that I find tremendously beneficial, you know, before you say anything about anyone changing anything is if someone's having, you know, let's just say, you know, we define it as processed food or sugar or, or soda or something like that, write down the reason. No judgment, just write down the reason. Mm -hmm. Stress at work, was it uh, craving, don't know how to cook. And when someone actually looks at those seven reasons, oh my God, seven of these were like work stress or like argument with my spouse. Like, I don't need to do anything. You, you know, are recognizing for yourself. And that's far more powerful than me saying like, hey, let's cut the McDonald's down from seven to three. Like that recognition that the reason you're having the McDonald's is um, you're just stressed from life and this is your outlet. And you seeing that being like, oh, okay, now I need to change. So that consciousness is incredibly powerful in changing, um, you know, either dogmatic beliefs or practices around whatever, what one might be engaging in. Yeah, that's great. Um, I also uh, would add to it too, that for the, uh, I'm speaking to clients now, if you're a client, you're going through that, um, we're not going to be able to provide even sometimes, you know, the, the strategies that you need as a client to work with all those things you come up with in realizing what the reason was. Do you know I mean, there's not a lot of coaches out there who are competent enough to like guide people through more than that question, Robbie, you know what I'm saying? Like I teach it in CCP, but I know 90% of them will go out there and be like, I just want you to think about the reason why you made that choice. <laughs> and they're like, I came up with this reason. What do we do? Coach is like, um, I don't know. Good luck with that. You know, it's like, so you, you gotta, there's more steps to it. So I'm just mentioning to clients or the client, you need to know this if you're a coach listening too, is that uh, it's, it's, it's okay that you just will take time on that. I mean, you may not have the thing, you know, to, the ways to remedy what you're coming up with for those reasons, right? Especially if it's something really heavy, Robbie, right? Like really heavy, right? Like, uh, um, you know, a dependency and you're erring on the side of the, a dependency of a particular nutrient that really is numbing a whole lot of things, you know, and that, 
that's a, that's a little ch more challenging. But still, the awareness of it, I think, is the starting point. When people, like I'd like to say, when people are aware, um, they're, they're on to moving forward. And that's it. You know, it's, it's forward momentum from there. Yeah, and this is, you know, going back to things we've discussed with, you know, the coach-client relationship and how it differs from that doctor-knows-best model. It's, it's this collaborative enterprise. We're really, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I don't, it, it's this weird psychological thing. Like, someone sends me their food journal. I don't have no power to make them tell the truth. I have no power to make them change anything if I say change it this week. Mm -hmm. It's all internal to them, but it's this yeah. weird psychological <laughs> thing where if you have this third party, it helps them um, shift. And it's almost, you know, instead of the doctor knows best where it's like, here, you do this. And because I tell you, um, if you've really done your job, like you've, you've mentioned James a number of times, you know, at the end, they're autonomous and conscious and the coach goes, you know, you can imagine like a movie uh, VFX, like the coach just poof, like disappears into thin air, like, and then it's like, oh, it was me the whole time. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they, they, they start to realize they were the impetus the coach helped guide along the way and help navigate and you know course correct here and there but like they're the they're the driving force yeah 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 that's great just because i heard it the other day uh i because i envision it all the time and you know i don't know i don't know necessarily why i think that way of the the concept of legacy and you know the impact of when i'm gone etc and um this uh gentleman who you don't know his name, but he's um, um, a leader, really, out there in in leadership, in the context of leadership. Just to your like, you know, go away. You know, I always envisioned that for myself as like, I guess the greatest level of impact would be that I have no connection in name or history or anything to all those changes that are being made. You know, it's just you kind of just you just like Homer into the bushes, you know, <laughs> and like, and still things still keep happening effectively. Right. Um, so that, that's a great analogy that I use myself based upon your point there of uh, the coach dissolving and the client just like, Oh, I just, this is just doing these things because these are the reasons, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, an Apple fanboy, like a thousand percent. And, uh, one of the things you would hear routinely about Steve Jobs is, uh, you know, the greatest product wasn't the iPad or the iPhone or the iMac. It was Apple. The fact that it was able to self-sustain after he left and, you know, what he, what he said to Tim Cook about, you know, don't do what I, what I would do. Do you yeah. know what I mean? That, yeah. Just that, yeah. just that idea of, yeah. um, you know, you become autonomous now. And mm -hmm. so, yeah. um, so yeah, that's, that's one way to combat dogmatism is with consciousness. Now, Consciousness is that first step Then we need to go to consciousness is really the descriptive step, if you will. It's really the, like, just what's going on. Just noticing, mm -hmm. just, just noticing what is occurring. Critical thinking comes in and then we start to ask questions like, where does that belief come from? What's the justification for this belief? And a quote that I used to read to my students when I was um, teaching philosophy was from Albert Einstein. And he said, it's not so very important for a person to learn facts for that. He doesn't really need a college. He can learn them from books. The value of an education in a liberal arts college is not the learning of many facts, but the training of the mind to think something that cannot be learned from textbooks. So I, I always, I always love that quote. And I think it highlights something, you know, facts are important and you need to know stuff, mm -hmm. but if you can't critically think about those facts or what you believe or um, what you're feeling, 
uh, you're going to have a really time navigate, really hard time navigating things. So I think once you have consciousness, great, mm -hmm. good start. Mm -hmm. But then we also need to be able to evaluate and reflect where does this belief come from? Mm -hmm. Why is it there? Do I have a justification for it? Um, and, and that, that is tremendously beneficial when it comes to combat, combating dogmatism. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, when you said facts, I thought about, I've just been reading um, this older manual on uh, origin of human species from a paleontological uh, point of view. And uh, just been digging in on those, uh, the sites and the words artifacts are used quite often. I'm not sure if you recognize that, but, um, and ironically inside of that, that's a search for, for my own personal truths, right? I'm digging really hard into trying to understand that whole origin aspect for myself to your point of like trying to trying to solve some of those riddles that may never really come to my understanding of truths, but it, it just makes, it eases a whole lot of things. So now I have at least a base support when I talk about things like, you know, uh, bipedalism and locomotion in upright things, you know, for millions of years, it's like, you know, it's, 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 it's a fact. It's not, it's not a, you know, an opinion. You know, there's, it's a fact. Here's the femur. This is the DNA. This is what they ate. It's like, here's what they found the rock, you know, it's like, and you get enough, but it's like, you know, so that, that thing for me has been, I'm just giving that as an example of what I'm currently looking at that, uh, that offers some of those. And I hope people just listening can see that you can't just be like, Oh, you know, I believe it. You got, you got to do the work. You got to, you got to do the extra, extra stuff, you know, and, and it's out there. You got to search for it. You got to keep searching and reading and understanding. And uh, that'll move you further away to my point from a dogmatic belief, really. It'll move you further from that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that process that you mentioned is super important. It's like the, the stuff that should survive at the end, like the beliefs that are the strongest are the ones that go through the crucible, right? Like with, with, with science, yeah. you know, people will uh, sometimes, uh, people who are not fans of, science for whatever reason will say things like, well, science changes all the time. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, that's because we are constantly like the stuff that survives is the stuff that actually went through challenges. And very often, you know, it, it contains what came before it in, in some way or another. So for example, with physics, like uh, Newtonian physics is a limit case of what came after with Einstein. So it's not like, oh, Newton was just garbage. And you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's still this connection to what came before, but it's that constant going through the crucible of either experience or education or travel or what have you. Yeah. 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 Newton is garbage, but it's all, it was all science. It was science then yeah. and it's still science today because of that fact of change, right? Ask the question, yeah. ask the question, see things differently, have technology, have resources, ask better questions, see things differently. It's science. That whole thing was science, you know? So it can't be wrong because <laughs> it's science weird like a little matrix thing going on there yeah and it's not i mean it's uh you know there's a spectrum right i mean it newton newtonian physics still has tremendous explanatory and predictive power you can launch a rocket into space knowing nothing about quantum mechanics yeah, yeah. um or einsteinian physics so it's it, you know it's the success of approximation to things yeah, yeah. um i mean uh, just to, as a side note on that did, you know i asked our listeners to dig into galileo um and just just look at the big picture things of predictions that were made and kind of concepts and ideas, you know, from that mind, that was a human that actually existed. <laughs> you know, that was a person 
And if you think about the context of like how, you know, where they, how, how he lived and like what was going on at the time and the things that were said based upon what is still true today. I mean, it is mind blowing. Anyways, I'll just take a second for people to do some research on that. Oh yeah. Especially, I mean, next this month. is where dog dogmatism in its context plays a huge role. Like it's uh, you know, for him to, go against um, that stuff in the midst of just being that, that's the only way you could think. Yeah. It's really, yeah, yeah tremendous. Yeah, great story. Um, other things we can use that probably would be f more familiar, so we'll, you know, go through them a little bit more um, uh, quickly and then move on to other ones, but still super important. Education, you know, learning new concepts, frameworks, and possibilities in, in the fitness realm, this could be, you know, books, podcasts, certifications, things like that. Now, no one is saying that these are sufficient to combat dogmatism or that these are the only things that you need to do. You know, James, as you've pointed out many times, experience is, um, you know, the real big piece, uh, whether it's coaching experience or fitness experience or what have you. But ed education does open one up to new conceptual possibilities and frameworks that just are helpful as an antidote to dogmatism, the same way travel is, you know, you go and, you know, you have these smart, rational people who are doing things completely different from you. And it's like, Oh, they seem to be getting on fine. And maybe, maybe better. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I lived over in Berlin for a couple months and um, <laughs> I mean, in, in so many different ways, just uh, super eco-conscious. And I mean, everyone's biking everywhere and, uh, then the flip side, they all smoke cigarettes. You know what I mean? Just this weird, like, what? What the what? <laughs> and, you know, you bag your own groceries. And just just, just, the, just that idea of, like, seeing, exposing yourself to different frameworks so that you can then be like, oh, well, why is it that we do this? Like, I've been taught it. My parents taught me it. Like, that's how I get in the world. But just that experience is beneficial. Yeah, I miss that. I miss travel. I miss seeing the world. Yeah, me too. And I, yeah, I think it's one of the best antidotes to, you know, people think of it as a way to relax and it is that and to learn about history, but it is really an antidote to dogmatism a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So much, man. So much. Um, and then another one that, you know, I, we've talked about before, but be I'm always curious to hear more thoughts from you on this experience. So nothing overthrows dogmatic beliefs quite like contradictory experiences, like repeated contradictory experiences. Like you believe this? Nope. You believe this? Nope. You know, the, the, the thing that really gets that neurosis is that uh, experience. And I don't know if you wanted to uh, jam on that anymore for kind of the coach or the client or in fitness any, any thoughts there. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll use the uh, example in which uh, this, this plays a role, uh, you know, in that dogmatic thinking, of um, people achieving things at a faster rate than, than, is, than is real, right? That's the classic one. And uh, the way that you can, you know, just sit back and go, okay, that's a, you know, I'm not sure where you got that idea or how that's going to be. Uh, but you can tell you're just like really hard on that's the way it's going to be, right? Which is, I guess, would be a dogmatic way of thinking as to the, the pathway and the, the righteous way. Um, I always say just put people into the system. It's like, you know, the, the classic one is, uh, I want to, you know, I want to go to the sanctionals or I want to go, you know, form the regionals or whatever that used to be in that sporting world. And, um, and people are, you know, are 
just jamming on webinars with me to like, to, to, for me to like unfold the sentence that's going to change, you know, <laughs> everything, right? How do we, how do we do it? How do we all get there? And, uh, and my, my question generally falls flat for people, but it's, it's a reality that you just, the next day, give them, uh, the 18 minute AMRAP from 2011, um, and look at them compared to a million other data points. It's like, <laughs> just do it tomorrow, <laughs> you know, uh, but I can't do toes to bars. Like, okay, what does that tell you around how far we're away from that fantasy? You know what I'm saying? So that's just an example of like, you got to have the experience. You got to be inside the system. You got to be practicing it and feeling it out and seeing where you sit. And that'll move you closer and closer to the truth in the truth around your progression right? The truth, the even absolute truths, right? Not absolute truths in the, in the like capital A, capital T absolute truths, but absolute truths in like your physical potential, right? You, you can't do 400 plus reps for that 18 minute workout. You can't, I don't know. Oh, well, maybe it was the pre-workout. Okay. We'll wait four days. And we'll do it again. <laughs> it's like, uh, 365 again, you know, <laughs> I can still do this. Okay. Four days, <laughs> we do that again. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's a constant experience is the constant uh, litmus, right? It's, it's, that's what I, why I love physical expression. There's so many, so many truths in physical expression. They just like scream back to you. Like you can't do this. I don't know any other way to tell you, you can't do it. So in that there's, there's experience that can lead to those aha moments of awareness and understanding. And eventually, with enough experience, people will get on board with uh, being okay with the fact of what rate of progression and adaptation means and how they go about getting there and falling in love with that process. Yeah, and although we both think education is very important, I mean, I, you know, I agree with you that there's nothing quite like experience to like really get you to just change what you believe or to refine what you believe. Like... It, it's it's not just the gleaning of new information. It's like oh oh, I just added ten calories to the bike. Like it's not just that bit of information. It's the feeling. It's the it's the mm. it's the experience. That's yeah. it's it's very powerful in that regard. Yeah. How hard did I work to get there? What were the limitations imposed when I was about to do it? You know, because you'll you'll just know. You'll start connecting. Be like, I can't, I can't do this every day. You know, I I won't improve at this rate every day. Like you just start knowing these things, even though you can't explain it, you'll just feel it to your point, right? There's a lot of feelings surrounding that process of, uh, of experience. So, um, man, yeah, I, I love that. Um, gosh, I won't get pulled off to the side on that one, but, uh, there's a lot, a lot in, uh, in that experience. Yeah, absolutely. So some other ways to combat dogmatism, I think a big one that is very important to always ask yourself that, you know, I try to do as much as possible is this, this willingness to revise your belief. And it, it can't just be like a, well, I'm willing in name only. It's got to be what specifically could come before you to change your mind. Mm -hmm. If the answer is nothing, that's not a great sign for avoiding dogmatism. So I'll always joke with my nutrition clients like, yeah. I mean, uh, something comes before me that says that, uh, uh, 
you know, French baguette is going to uh, reverse autoimmunity and is nutrient dense. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, like it's great for blood sugar balance and psychological relationship with food and digestive health. Like if that actually, if there are multiple studies that, you know, pass the criteria, like I'm going to be doing backflips. I love pizza yeah. and bread for the next person. Yeah, backflips onto French baguettes. Exactly. While eating a French baguette. While eating a French baguette. <laughs> like I, I have no vested interest in that being true. I mean, who, who doesn't love bread? You know what I'm saying? saying? So like asking yourself specifically, what sort of thing could come before you that would make you um, believe something different, whether that's regard to religion or politics. Um, it's a little bit trickier with regard to morality. Sometimes we talk about those things being a little bit more timeless and things like that, but, yeah. but similar type things where you're asking yourself what specifically whether in fitness or nutrition could come before me to make believe, believe something otherwise. It doesn't need to be something actual, right? It doesn't yeah. need to be something actual, but something possible. Yeah. Yeah. The way that I, uh, I start with on that, let me see, go about doing it. Yeah. I'll do it for a client first um, is to give them, is to give them an awareness of a low intense topic of them recognizing that other people see things differently than what they do. That's what I'll give them some insight into. So I'll say, you know, you know, your were thoughts, you know, I'll even use me in that situation, myself and you, we think this thing, you know, let's just, let's just be okay with the fact that as we continue our conversation, we're aware that there's four other different stark beliefs on what we believe. Are you aware of that? Right. And if they can't move past that, that's where you start, right? Because that you, you need to get them aware as like this, this thing for you and what you see and whatnot is like a lot, lot different out there. There's a lot of different beliefs and thoughts on those things. And are you okay with the fact that that exists first, right? Yeah, you are. Great. Now let's move on to maybe something more intense or something specific for you and I that we can play with. Uh, for myself, if any coaches are interested on it, um, I try to uh, do a couple of things. Um, I try to argue both sides of a particular belief. So what I use is what's called the pluses and minuses and unknowns of that particular belief, right? Um, and I use it with food, especially with food most times because it's, it's very non-emotional for people and we just put the thing over there and we can just look at it and laugh at it, you know? Um, I'll do that. But I would ask you to do that yourself for particular things, right? Um, like especially to today, which could be a really challenging one. So I'm not going to hesitate to say we shouldn't try it, but do it with politics, you know, do it with your beliefs and politics on it. And don't tell anyone about it that you thought these things <laughs> or don't put on Twitter or like someone, <laughs> you know, God forbid, you know, they see that you're, you're actually questioning your thoughts, your beliefs, but just sit back and be like, what are the pluses and the minuses and the unknowns of me like digging into that area of what I don't believe? Right? Like the, I, I really don't believe that. And so uh, my, my, my belief is that you should uh, approach it that way to kind of see what the other side or other sides have in place. You know, um, I think what's done uh, at universities or used to be done, I'm not sure it was done anymore. I'm only assuming from what I hear in the cultural wars is not being done as much anymore, but uh, debates of really challenging topics where you had to take the opposite side as a four, right? It's like, I'm debating for this, right? I'm debating for this. And it's not even a, a side you would take, but you're willing to just try to wrangle 
with that thing on that other side, you know? So if, if that for you is like, that's too intense for me, just sit on a fucking couch. Just sit down with your thoughts and, and play that out, right? Don't worry. No one's going to know about it. <laughs> but it's a great practice in you going like, ooh, you know? You know, I, I, I kind of see that. I see why people would think that, you know? Like that, that just makes sense, you know? Now, you can still, in the end, be like, well, you know, I still have, have mine. But uh, so that's what I would offer for some clients and coaches on how to, like, move towards a better understanding of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I agree with that. I thinking back to like when I when I used to teach philosophy at the university level, a couple of things come to mind. So one was I refused every time I taught to tell anyone what I believed, whether it was on religion or politics or what have you. And like it would it would drive some students nuts. And like when I finished my last last semester, a couple of them asked, like, can I take you out to lunch and just hear? <laughs> yeah. Like because I would I would try my best to argue for either side. And it was always interesting to hear like Oh, I thought you were this. Yeah. Because I would I would try to, you know, have it be where it was for the other side. But then in terms of asking them to write papers, I would always say, like, try to be as charitable as you can to the opposing side. Try to take whatever thing you're opposing in its best, most um rational light, and then beat that. Because it's it's no it's no accomplishment to um argue against a position where you've just created a straw man. Do you know what I mean? Like we've just uh, mischaracterized it and pointed it, put it in its most extreme form, but it is an accomplishment to say, Hey, well, this thing doesn't work. Um, and that's taking it in its absolute best light, the best way you can view it. Um, and then the other thing I would always say is there is no philosophical position. And really, I, man, if you, if you've got one, I'd be interested to hear, but I can't think of any, or very few choices in life or any philosophical position or political position that does not have some drawbacks. Mm -hmm. Want to get married? Benefits and drawbacks. Want to stay single? Benefits and drawbacks. College, not college, kids, no kids. Everything has benefits and drawbacks. Now, that doesn't mean that one thing isn't better than another. It depends yeah. on the person in the context. Yeah. But, you know, to say that one thing is all benefits and no drawbacks, I'm always skeptical of that. What's, what's the drawbacks of searching for your maximum um, emotional and cognitive physical potential in a lifetime? Uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah, that constant feeling and okay. just like we were talking about. Now, not saying the journey isn't worth it, but you're, you're, you are paying a price. You're, you are paying a toll along the way. Yeah. I, I personally believe. Again, I think the journey is worth it. We wouldn't be having this discussion otherwise. Yeah. But you know, just like with studying philosophy or critical thinking, like there's a lot of uncertainty and discomfort in that process. Yeah. Again, doesn't mean it's not worth it, but that's yeah. there. Or it doesn't also mean that there's a, uh, like we mentioned earlier, just a lot of people are not going to be good with uncertainty. Yeah. Right. They just, just can't handle it. Yeah. Right. So another one that you guys can use in addition to this, you know, what specifically would you do to revise your beliefs is uh, a general awareness that when you want to believe something is true, that should be a flag. Mm. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Doesn't mean it's um, not a true belief, but always, always flag it and investigate deeper because there's this very deep propensity in all of us to search out roundabout justifications for what we want to believe is true. So that, yeah. that one I think is, is very worthwhile. Yeah. We'll go long distances. <laughs> <laughs> for that 
Yeah. Yeah. Do do crazy mental gymnastics. Gosh. Yeah. Um, another one is remove conflicts of interest as best as you can. Now, this isn't always easy, but you know, there's that Upton Sinclair, Sinclair quote, I believe it's from the jungle, his, uh, expose piece on, um, uh, factory meat production in the late 1800s. Um, it's hard to make a man believe something when his salary depends on him not believing it. And I think in the fitness and nutrition industry, this is a this is a real thing, um, and we could even go to FDN land with like some people getting money for supplements. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, when when you um, are getting money to sponsor a product, whether it's a CBD oil or Ramwad or what have you, like when you're getting money to um, to you know product place for these things, you know, it's not it's not that there aren't certain things that are worthy of it. There are things that um, that that can be, but uh, you always got to put a flag by it. You got to always put an asterisk by it because your propensity to want to then continue to believe that thing will be increased because you are receiving a benefit from it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, uh, yeah. And on the really deepest level, you know, fitness being, you know, turning towards a commodity, um, should just make sense for this day and age. And probably is the, you know, ironically the, 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 the rewriting of things over time, but even as simple as a cost around, fitness and health advice, right? Um, you know, there's, you know, we'd, we'd love to be able to say that these are just thoughts and actions and things that people can learn and we can give, but uh, there's a cost to that too, right? There's, uh, there's economy around fitness and health and being a health consultant of things that you would think are, you know, people just need a little like shove and a lot of help and a shit ton of people need help you know, there's lots of limitations on the economics around that, you know, and really helping people effectively because there's a cost to it. So that's, that's on a broad scale, what we deal with inside of fitness too. But yeah, by all means, there's these very unique ones too, that, uh, that, uh, especially today, um, you know, I also think of the, uh, the, you know, getting inside the system of trying to gain attention. And if you decide not to get inside the system to gain attention, where a huge number of people who are probably, wanting to get inside the system, <laughs> you know, even for good reasons, um, you've got to gain attention to get, <laughs> to get their attention to even change, you know what I mean? So you're, you, you got to do some of the, you got to do some of that. Yeah. That's just, it's, it's how we live. It's how people communicate today. It's, you know, we'd love to be Puritans on it and, uh, and send out pigeons and have them carry these little flags behind, you know, that are, <laughs> um, <laughs> eat, live, and I'm not sure what the other thing would be. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of those tough decisions and conflicts. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point earlier about how dogmatism can be especially rampant today. I mean, truth and marketing, Oh God, there's just that push and pull. And like the stuff that gains the most traction is the most dogmatic. It's the most like my way is the highway, you know, like it, it, it's just, and, and the stuff that is the truth, the stuff is, Oh, context matters. Like, you know, there are some examples of companies that have been able to push through that and still make some success, but they're still generally not as successful as the, uh, you know, the cleanse products and the, the, the waistband stuff. You know what I mean? Like the, the nutritional fitness programs that are um, being super dogmatic. So there really is this, this push and pull that's um, hard to, uh, 
hard to, you know, hard to work against when the majority of the market is very enamored with black and white thinking. Oh yeah. Yeah. Incompetent, unconscious individuals to the fitness thing. It's just a lot of those people. So that, again, that's a recognition we have to have, right? Using, you can use examples of orange theory versus OPEX just for two companies with those, right? Um, OPEX has 50 plus gyms around the world. Orange theory got a $400 million investment two years ago to just explode. You know, I'm not, I'm actually should dig into how they're doing around COVID being such a in-person thing with, uh, with tech, but not being able to like, uh, be agile and use and help all their consumers while they're home. Right. That's a very interesting thing, but, uh, sorry to get off topic, but you know, just look at those is like, what's the definition of success there? You know, it's like people served weight lost, you know, is a totality that orange theory is like kicking our ass. It's like wiping it, you know? So it's, it depends upon what you define as success, what you define as impact. But, um, you can see that, you know, the truth, cause we, we, we don't, you know, speak exactly out of what my mouth is because we'd have no gyms. <laughs> so it's like a little lighter than that, right? It's like, well, you know, come in and try it and then we'll talk about what's individualized for you and we'll help you out. You see that? So it's very kind of loose, right? Um, but what we believe in is autonomy for the client. Like we want to teach people how to be self-sufficient over time in our communities, right? Um, and the other O doesn't prescribe that. So there, therein lies your point, right? Is like marketing and dogmatism and versus the truth is like, yeah, you know, if you go that route and, and use that, you say that's the way, like CrossFit did successfully, I would say, and this is how I define success, successfully way back in the day, right? Here's the way, like out, you know, that's all you need to be able to say, right? Uh, use an us versus them idea and populist mentality and at the right time, internet, changes in the fitness landscape, propose a change in the new language, done, right? That's success. Uh, whereas for us, it's like broccoli's good. Sunshine is our sponsor. You know, it's like, what? Right. what? Come on. It's going to be more than that. So people are looking for that. They're looking for that, right? They, they need to have that because it, it acts like a form of uh, certainty as to what's going to be helpful. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, just to highlight something that, you know, initially drew me to um, OPEX and I, I would imagine Brandon as well. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, this idea of if you have a conflict of interest or if you want to believe something, um, that's a sign that you might be dogmatic about it. I would go in the reverse direction with that and I would say, uh, or I would say something on the reverse side of that where you'd say, if you are doing something potentially against your own financial interest, um, that might be a sign that you're being anti-dogmatic, right? So like in, in you know, your case where you've, we've talked about multiple times on these episodes, like, you know, eventually, I don't know that we necessarily need a coach. Do you, do you know what I mean? Just, just that idea of like not being in it to necessarily like further your stuff as like the way to light and the truth, seeing it as a, a means to help people, um, but not necessarily being so wedded to it that you can't see the future where maybe this doesn't exist. Like I, I, that to me is an example. And there are other examples from other areas of life of like a way that you can combat dogmatism or a way that you can be aware that you're not being dogmatic. If you're like, 
systematically trying to, in a certain sense, like pull away your source of funding or like the thing that you built a business upon, like um, that to me is an indication of you're, you're trying to pursue something with more intrinsic worth and uh, being anti-dogmatic. So that's, that's a thought I had there. Yeah, welcome to my brain. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, lots in that of, uh, you know, the thinking about, uh, you know, there's realities to that. So, you know, how, how, how fast do you want to dissolve that idea, you know? Um, and if you're not, you know, going all in on that idea, then what are you doing in the interim? You know, like, there's, there's lots of, uh, there's lots of heavy thoughts inside that heavy emotional thoughts I have for that. Um, you know, of, uh, which ties into like effects for my children and effects for the next generation. And I can sure look ahead and say, you know, I want, um, I want, you know, a ton of people to be awake to the fact that, uh, you know, how we language it, they can express themselves physically and, and uh, be autonomous in that right from the get-go and understand self-care, et cetera. Um, but in the interim, you know, how do you possibly not get exhausted with just trying to teach coaches about that concept? You know, if really at the end, there's so much push from the, from the current, you know, 3% of the entire market that wants to at least start a little bit on that, you know? Um, so that's, I'm just disclosing in my own brain the the thoughts that I are challenged with, right? It'd be very easy to say, listen, just go hundred percent all in. And my entire mission is to dissolve this entire thing to get people aware of the fact that um, you need to do this, you know, without a coach and you have the ability to do this. Um, and uh, it's just, uh, yeah, I just think about, think about the consequences of that versus uh, just stretching it out. And then I think about just, you know, stretching it out. How much energy do I have for that, for the stretch out, you know? Right. How much energy do I have for it? And it's kind of a similar thing in the nutrition realm where, you know, the eventual goal in this certain respect, maybe not all respects, is to not, necess not necessarily need nutrition coaches. Mm -hmm. um, to have it where people are educated on exactly what they should be eating and they have the habits around it and yeah. maybe need specialty coaches for eating disorders and things like that. But mm -hmm. that idea of... I'm, I'm working towards making myself obsolete in a certain, uh, in a certain regard. Yeah. And so I was generalizing using the neo generalist concept of a coach having behavior exercise and nutrition prescriptions. Yeah. Right. So, Cause that's what I call self care, right? Cognitive self care, physical self care, nutritional self care, you know, but, uh, yeah. Um, So just a couple more here. Uh, are you, well, first, let me do a check. You doing okay on time? Yep. Okay. So humility, that should be an obvious one. We've, we've talked about that. Recognizing that you are a finite being, recognizing that humans have been wrong about many things throughout history. That That's pretty obviously an antidote to dogmatism. But one thing we talked about last time that I wanted to come back to that I thought was interesting is this idea of a space of reasons. And if you've never heard that term before, that's okay. It's a, a philosophical term. Um, and it, it has different uses, but I, I thought I could use a couple metaphors to help people understand and get their, their brains behind this. So um, imagine going into a, a UFC fight, right? Like someone can't walk into the ring, pull out a knife, stab the guy and say, hey, I won. 
they can't um, punch the guy in the face as the ref is detailing the rules. So what I'm trying to illustrate there is that when you enter into the space of reasons, you are adopting a certain set of normative rules that both parties need to abide by. Mm -hmm. Um, And you need to accept the outcome, whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you guys seen the, the Queen's Gambit yet? Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. I saw it underneath the uh, people have also viewed because uh, I'm just uh, starting the uh, season four of the crown. Okay. Um, yeah. Both great shows J- just started the Queens gambit and it's about this uh, famous chess player, Beth Harmon. And it illustrates this idea of the space of reasons in, in a concrete way with, with chess. So with chess, you don't get to like flip over the board or make the queen fly around and like smash the king. Like, you have a certain set of circumscribed rules that you need to abide by. And if your opponent makes a move, you get to make a move and so on and so forth. So with the space of reasons, what does this all have to do with dogmatism? It has to do with dogmatism in the sense that a good cue to you being not dogmatic is engaging in the space of reasons where someone lobs a reason over the net, so to speak, and you lob one back and you go back and forth. to take an example from a video I saw the other day, I'm forgetting the name of the guy who put it out, but he's a famous food blogger like Kenji Lopez Alt. And he did this whole 15 minute thing on why is it that pork is thought of as dirty and like is not consumed culturally? Like, why is it not kosher? Why is it not halal? Um, it has nothing to do with it being less healthy. It doesn't have to do with trichinosis. doesn't have to do with it, you know, um, being any more unclean than like uh, lambs in certain stages of life. Um, you know, the, the biblical reason, at least in the, in the Jewish tradition, the old Testament is, you know, cause it chews the cut and it has a cloven hoof. Okay. Well, we're entering into the space of reasons now. <laughs> like I'm lobbing something over that's saying, Hmm, I don't see how those are reasons. Uh, you know, not saying that, you know, yeah. people can obviously adopt those as practices. That's, that's yeah. fine. But if someone's lobbing it over the fence and saying, well, you should not consume pork, and then you say, whoa, 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 wait, it's not unclean, mm-hmm. all the rest of that. So that's what I mean by the space of reasons. You, you can't just say, well, this person said so, or this, this thing said so. Like, you need to come back with data or reasons that uh, are accessible to both parties that you can both lob back and forth on um, and have a discussion. And that's the way it's like chess or UFC fight. You don't get to just do anything you want. And very often a sign that someone is dogmatic is they just reject the rules of the game. Like we're currently seeing in America where we say, hey, you know, it was a cheat or a fraud or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's what I meant by the space of reasons. And I think that's a very important concept for coaches to keep in mind. You can't just say, I don't like the game anymore. Like mm-hmm. come back with a reason as to why this is not true. Otherwise your point does not hold up. Yeah, gosh, that's a man. I hope a lot of people are listening to what you're saying there because that's really prevalent in culture today. Um, in multiple different ways, the thoughts around that, that uh, we're not willing to stretch it out and take the time to kind of look at what all the information is. We just want to rip apart the game, you know, and not abide by a lot of those rules. Um, Let's bring it into fitness though. And, um, you know, um, well, I'll I'll throw it back to you. Um, Can you, can you bring that as a conversation, a very light one back into fitness STC where, that's kind of thrown over into our area and we're just, you know, some people are using that as a dogmatic idea uh, inside of our rules. 
for that? Yeah, I mean, this is our whipping boy. God, I wish I, I wish I had a, a different, <laughs> I want to be dogmatic about the example, but it's just my personal experience, probably your experience. Like, you know, when I le- went to my level two, like day one, great stuff about like noticing this and that, and you know, uh, what would you say to a client? Like great stuff. And then day two, the programming, like, GWM, you know, I mean, just like, and, and just not even the slightest hint of like, what about power athlete or what about OPEX or what about, nope, this is the way, the light and the truth. Like, nope, I'm going to flip that stuff over. And like, um, your grandma's needs differ, <laughs> not in kind, but do you know I what I mean? Like just yeah. that, that, that to me is an example. Another, another one, I guess on the nutrition space, I, maybe this is a discussion we'll have at some point. Um, there are lots of interesting discussions to be had around um, uh, ways of eating, veganism. You know, there's uh, there's the health debate, there's the environmental concerns, and then there's the ethical mm-hmm. question. To me, I, I think, um, and this is something I deal with in terms of my own personal uncertainty, I think the um, health argument is just uh, false. I mean, I think there's a tremendous amount of evidence for the night, I think on the vegan side, that's not um, really acknowledged very often. But on the paleo carnivore keto side of things, I think there is a very dogmatic tendency to ignore the ethical argument. Yeah. To really sure. say like, whoop, uh, you know what? Nope, nope. B12, zinc, yeah. omegas, like that's important, but I'm going to ignore the, so th- those are those are a couple instances where the health and fitness world where I see like not engaging in the space of reasons and throwing over the chessboard. So yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. I agree. Uh, I would say in the nutrition area too, some of the the um, the issues that I see that increase that to make it worse is that even those individuals who are nutrition authoritarian figures um, are are trying to create this group thinking majority now around inclusion of everyone's beliefs and what they want to have for veganism as an example so there's a shit ton of nutrition experts uh evidence-based who uh, are saying yeah if that nine-year-old uh young female prepubescent wants to uh not eat meat for whatever reasons um i think there's a great way for her to achieve her protein requirements so you see now now it's like okay <laughs> You know, where, where are we on health? Where are we on? So it's, it's very, yeah, the nutrition one, dude, for, for, we got, we got probably days of conversation to have on that on, uh, but I think where I can maybe help in that conversation is I parallel it a lot to the ideas we talk about for intentions of exercise. That's where, you know, in our space of reasons, here's the rules. We create this, these ideas around rules by calling it like we call it guidelines, right? But really they're rules. It's like, you want to have this good energy every day. You want to get sunshine, chew your food, or get enough water, etc. And um, and indirectly, they are rules. Those are the things that we think are the way for it. But here's the thing: is that we provide um, some really uh, you know uncertain uh, reasons behind that. But it's that we choose this idea of what is the definition of longevity. And again, back to my point: what is a what is a large life, right? Like that, that's, that's where we, that's where we always land as our being our, you know, space of reasons. If I'm, if I'm saying that correctly as to what we like, here's the rules of the game for that. And what are our rules that well, our ultimate goal for this game 
is to have a really powerfully expressed life physically and cognitively, like with so much experiences in life, you know, led by our ability to think clearly and to move and do the things we want to do and no inhibitions, nothing that can stop us from that, you know? Um, and that's why I always go back to this, you know, optimizing and not mediocre because in mediocrity allows all that shit conversation on nutrition, right? Honestly, it's like, well, you know, I read this, I saw this and it's like, fuck, you know, you're right. <laughs> you're right. There's a shit ton of facts based upon what you're using as reasoning to do that. But here's my rules, right? These are the rules that we're doing, right? And then it kind of, it kind of makes you rethink that dogmatic thing that was thrown over then because it's like, oh, well, the space of reasons is different here. Um, anyways, I hope, uh, I hope you picked up a couple of things from that. I hope some listeners did. <laughs> no, I, I did. And I think one of the important points about one of the things you were bringing up is, you know, with, with longevity and living a large life. I think we talked about this last time with like, you know, maybe having you on Joe Rogan with someone else and like having a discussion with someone else who, you know, takes the intensity model is being able to lob these reasons back and forth. Like if you were asked for reasons why you believe living a large life and living autonomous autonomously is better than the high intensity, you know, mixed modal uh, model, you could provide those reasons. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like you could lob that across the bow and then like, okay, let's hear the counter argument. Yeah. Um, so that, that I think is important. It's not just these enclaves of like, oh, well, this is my framework and you have your framework over there and I have mine over here and like, we can't even talk to each other. Um, we do run into issues. Sometimes things can bottom out in incompatible fundamental beliefs that, that, that can happen. But I, I am very confident that if you were to have that discussion with someone and to a large extent, OPEX is having that discussion with someone. It's, that, it's having that discussion with people who are in that, in that, in that uh, mode of coaching who believe in that and saying like, hey, here are some reasons to rethink that. Here are some reasons to think um, that, you know, some basic strength work and some basic aerobic stuff is all that's necessary for health and longevity and we don't necessarily need the high intensity stuff. So I, I think the space of reasons really goes back to the idea that you can lob something across the net and if you lob it across the net and the person doesn't lob something across, you are justified in believing what you believe. You're not being dogmatic about it. I'm willing to revise it if someone lobs something across, yeah. but if they don't, then you are justified in believing what you believe. Yeah. Especially if you throw it into multiple different arenas. Yeah. You know, absolutely. multiple different areas. That's even more powerful, which I've, that's why I feel more authentic and, and uh, let's call it stable in my conversation about some of those topics, because I have thrown it to multiple different voices and ways and ideas and lines of thinking and the same thing falls, right? Where it's like, Hmm, that's, you know, it's an interesting way of looking at it. There's not this like, you know, a flip back on top of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that, you know, going back to that crucible idea of exposing it to different ways, it could be potentially challenged that just strengthens it all the more. So yeah, for sure. You know? Um, yeah. I had that conversation the other day on, uh, high intensity interval training, or let's call it glycolytic, you know, dose response for, uh, uh, soldiers, you know, the, uh, that, that, you know, I've thrown that in a bunch of different arenas, <laughs> um, or over the fence to multiple, you know, groups like that. And there's nothing that comes back. There's nothing that comes back, you know, which is not a, not a lot of people speak about it. Right. They're like, Oh, they must be doing crazy intense CrossFit like activity to become such a great soldier. It's like, actually, no. 
they tried that for a couple of months and uh, it was a big failure, but no one, no one was like, shh, don't talk about that. <laughs> it's like, it's reality. You know what they're doing? They're lifting weights and <laughs> doing long rucks and a shit ton of gymnastics and swimming. That's what they're doing. So it's like, we want to, we want to like work that in as just to give you an example, just more recent. Oh, yeah. I've been discussing it with the uh, um, tactical design. Um, it's a, you know, cause it, it ties over to, law enforcement and special forces and, uh, and all those individuals of essential services and, you know, what kind of uh, physical resilience stuff do they need to do? You know, that's, that's, that's real, you know, based upon their ecosystem that they live in. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I'm just giving an example of uh, your point of lobbing it over. I lob it in multiple different areas and they're all like, yeah, just to let you know, yeah, that's just what we do. We do bodybuilding and slow aerobic work. It works best for <laughs> for most right. carb, you know, keto's keto every now and then. <laughs> it's like, oh, how can we not tell everyone that? <laughs> you know, uh, sex. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, but I I I like that, and I think that uh, leads to our last two points, and I, I think it leads to something that's really important. I think you know, people who are concerned about dogmatism, I'm sure you've had this at some point, I know I have, are concerned that they themselves are dogmatic, right? Like the more you become conscious and you critically think, you worry like, oh shit, am I being dogmatic? Am I not? So I thought the last two points I could help, you know, I I still think we should all be conscious, we should all critically think, but I wanna clear up some confusion around just because you believe something strongly does not mean you are being dogmatic. Mm -hmm. And I wanna help clear that up for coaches as to, you know, how, how we, how we get around that. So the first one is the idea that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And, you know, what do we define as extraordinary? Well, you know, uh, extraordinary, like out of the ordinary, like a, uh, a human being was resurrected from the dead and walked on water, you know, that, that whatever else you believe, whether you are a believer or not, that is an extraordinary claim that goes beyond um, what we ordinarily encounter. Let's bring it back to the fitness realm though. Um, well, actually first, a, a physics example, then we'll go to the fitness realm. So uh, a physics example, an object in motion stays in motion unless acted upon by another force. That is very contrary to experience, but it turns out it's true. And Descartes and Newton basically overturned years of Aristotelian and medieval mechanics by thinking that. And it took that extraordinary burden of proof of you know being able to explain and predict different motions that uh, enabled them to eventually say that. But that would be an example of a claim that um, was really bold and required proof. And now the burden is on the other side to show otherwise. So a similar one in fitness would be, uh, an extraordinary claim would be high intensity mixed modal uh, functional fitness is sufficient for health and longevity. That is a very strong claim. Could it be true? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's logically possible. Mm Um, so that would be a strong claim for which someone would need to marshal extraordinary evidence. And if they couldn't, they could retreat to high intensity, mixed modal functional fitness is necessary for health. So it's not enough. It's not, it's not enough by itself, but we can say, ah, well, in addition to strength training and aerobic stuff, you need it too. Did they marshal any evidence? No. Then you are justified in believing what you believe. Again, the burden is on them to show this. And this goes to the second point burden of proof. Um, It is not your burden to bear to show that aliens did not build the pyramids. It is not your burden to bear um, to, you know, prove that God exists. It is not your burden to bear to um, 
show that your client is innocent, that burden lies elsewhere. And unless that burden is met, then you are justified in believing what you believe. You know, you should still be conscious about it and critically think, but it's really important that people don't think two people thinking things uh, strongly are both equally dogmatic. That's not the case. Yeah. I'll stop there and see if you have any thoughts. Man. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I may have some more questions to it is, um, especially I think directly inside of fitness, Robbie, where it's going to be very hard to, as I said, there's just a, not a lot of individuals in my own opinion who have the competencies of the faculties to think about, even think about and not try to claim, you know, evidence, but to think about, uh, the, the consequences of, of like your, your statement as an example, right? Like it's just, it's, it's just so much chaos. How, how do you, how do you possibly resolve, resolve that? Like, as I know, as you know, like it, I, if you don't know, I, I have to stretch my brain a lot uh, just to create the right kind of language that that sticks with people um, because I know I can't provide evidence you know as as has evidence would be would be shown right for for my points on high intensity mixed model training leading to um, disease not leading to vitality as the claim right that I would make um, so you know, thoughts on that. Like, as I mentioned, it takes a long time to kind of see any of that. Uh, number one, no one kind of measures it. We're not inside of this big bubble checking on everyone, right? How would you do today? And how'd you do today? And how's that turning out over 10 years? Like, there's no, there's no way to look at that. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I think about right away is the challenges behind, you know, uh, you know, sh you know, that, that dogmatic belief um, it's really tough to provide evidence against that. I have some thoughts. Yeah. So let's take a let's take a lesser claim first, or a different claim that's very much related, and I'll I'll show how the two are connected. So you're bringing up an important point, which is very often the the question becomes, well, Rob, you're saying all this stuff about burden and proof and extraordinary claims. Well, how do we determine where the burden of proof lies, or how do we figure out what's extraordinary? That isn't always easy to tell. This is where something like um, an evolutionary or a paleo or a you know, biological perspective can become informative, right? So if we look back at how humans have behaved, we were able to walk and run um, you know, for certain distances. We were able to have the capability to lift things. Um, and James, you can correct me if I'm wrong here in, in you know, the history of, of human uh, capacity, but um, you know, that glycolytic pathway wasn't being used for very much, very frequently. So baseline, baseline right there, just from a biological perspective, mm -hmm. we can say that, you know, oxidative pathway, CP, that stuff's getting utilized to, to move things and move one's body and all the rest of that stuff. If you want to say that biologically speaking for health and longevity, high intensity mixed modal functional fitness is necessary or sufficient for health, the burden is on you because we have concrete historical anthropological evidence, evolutionary saying that this stuff isn't necessary. So the burden very much is on the other side. Now, 
to your original question of how are you sure that you're not being dogmatic or how can you provide evidence for your belief that long-term the high intensity mixed modal functional fitness stuff is not, uh, or is, is, is harmful. Well, I think one, one area we rely on is that point we just made of it's, it's not necessary or sufficient. So that's, that's step one. Um, step two, we do have to kind of rely on some concrete things we see in the here and now of, you know, metabolic dysregulation, hormonal dysregulation, injuries, overtraining, nervous system dysregulation, things like that. And then if we really wanted to seal the case, you know, you're right. We do, we do have to wait a bit. The stuff hasn't been around too long, but I think you are very much justified in believing what you believe based on those pieces of evidence that we just marshaled. And it is the burden of proof of the other side to show that that's not the case based on that. So I, I don't think that belief is dogmatic. I think it's very much based upon um, those things we just mentioned, perhaps other things. Yeah, no, that's helpful. It really just still leaves me with the problem, but it, it, it really just solves the semantics around it being it not being dogmatic. Yeah, like that's not your burden. It's their burden to show that this is not problematic. Yeah. It's not yours to show that it that it is and yeah. um that 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 matters that yeah. that matters so i, I think it does even it, though it's not, still even though it's still we'll never see the light of day for evidence it's still yeah it's still it well it may it just may exceed our lifespan yes <laughs> Ass yeah. assuming crossfit and that stuff is still around 50 to 100 years until the zombies come until the zombies come they're gonna save us they're gonna save us indirectly it's gonna be the best thing that happens to us you know this i'm gonna need my my strict ring muscle up to get up on a, a ledge and yep. pull myself up and then yep. my uh my ghd bench press to get them 30, off me yeah 30 times in a row yep oh man grandma needs it too and even if she's got to like just you know get up from the ground in her kitchen it's the same thing yep she's got to snatch the cheerios box from the uh the, the ground to the to the shelf. Yeah. Yep. Well, those were some ideas on uh, how to deal with dogmatism. Any, any final thoughts there? No, that was uh, that was really good. That was worthwhile. I learned I learned a bunch in there. Um, it uh, I did have hope that I was going to learn uh, uh, some more based upon that area. Um, it's. Uh, it's definitely an important topic for coaches and people inside of fitness to, to uh, think about today, to uh, indirectly recap or sum up. Um, you, uh, you have to, besides, you know, follow us and subscribe and like us, you have to uh, listen to um, those, your own thoughts and feelings that you have on particular topics and use the kind of things we've talked about over the past couple of shows to like, you know, put it in order and, and, and play with it and be okay with this fact that we're, we're essentially asking you to just to, just to say, are, do you, are you, are you, are you sure you're right on that? And if you're not, are you okay with like figuring out different ways, you know, and then also being okay with that and being okay with the fact that you're asking about trying to figure out different ways, you know? Um, and then you can move that after you've done that work yourself, you can move it into working with clients on it. Because now you understand how they come into the conversation. You're understanding that they come in with this, this thought, you know, or these multiple thoughts, you know, and, and then you're going to, you're going to be a lot, when you sniff that out, 
you're going to be a lot easier on what you put across the table right from the get-go, right? Because you know where it's going to land. Why? Because you understand how you feel on what dogmatism is and where it comes from, et cetera. So yeah. challenges, sorry, I think some challenges coaches, it's not all that easy, by the way, too. Some of the challenges coaches are going to deal with is uh, you may not have the faculties to put up with what could be a discomfort for you, right? Some people may not be able to handle that. Um, and I know that to be true because I speak to coaches all the time and, uh, and a lot of them, depending upon the topic, are, will just shut things down, right? Whether the Zoom call or just go off and do something else or just like, they can't handle it, right? Meaning can't handle even the conversation on possibility they could be incorrect and I could be incorrect and we're still uncertain based upon these things and how to come to those solutions. Um, yeah, just be aware of that fact too. But I would say even if you do feel a little bit of that discomfort, you're probably, probably in the right direction. Agreed. And I would say for me personally, like one of the things that's made coaching, I mean, I've always enjoyed coaching, but like, you know, so, so much of what you run into sometimes with, with nutrition coaching or fitness coaching is, you know, this is the only way to do it. And that's what you tell the client. And like, one of the things that's made me far more comfortable with the enterprise of coaching is being like, there's an experiment. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to give this a try. Uh, there's some reasons to believe this is a good thing to start off with and give it a try to, but let's see how it goes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not, not being dogmatic about paleo or keto or what have you. It's like, Hey, let's give it a try. See how yeah. it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. That's a, that's a good point. Um, and good learning for people. Yeah. Cause a lot of us want to control things too, or a number of people want to control things, right? Cause it's uh they feel like it's, it's like the way it's positive. They're here to, we're, they're here for us to help them and provide solutions. Right. So we're like, you know, we want to put in this nice package and be like, Oh gosh, this is, I can't believe that I'm going to be giving them the way, you know? And uh, I like your idea just being like, eh, just be a little easier on that, that we're not really sure and we can't control what's going to go on. And um, you know, and that doesn't mean that you lean into like, well, I don't know, you know, subjective realism and your approach. I'll tell you, oh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you will. <laughs> maybe you will show up and get stronger. Maybe you won't. Maybe Doritos are. I'm not really sure. <laughs> You're not leaning that far. It's just like, no, we're gonna have you lay out these basic things. Let you kind of jiggle with it and go. Where are you on that? Are you there? Okay, we're gonna move just a little bit forward from that and then get some feedback and then we're good to go. But still what, what I just said there is what you just said in different language. It's an experiment. It's a play. And like, we think this is the way let's get together and, and move that forward. Yeah, completely agreed. Super. Thanks for everything for today, Robbie. Um, thanks for making me think about investing in my, uh, or sorry. Yeah. Investigating my family name. I'll uh, take that into the weekend and do some work on it and I'll be ready for your next question. Excellent.